faithful in in um, in digging into the scriptures and presenting what is uh, there, what is what is there for us to to learn and know. I pray that you would help me to um, point to the gospel constantly. Pray for the folks who are here that their hearts would be um, fertile ground to receive the seeds that that grow into great things. Um, pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I may or may not have a video clip. May not. Don't worry about it. We'll not use it. Uh, it's okay. So uh, on the fly, I'll have to come up with a new illustration. No, I got it. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, it wasn't a great fit anyway. Um, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, we are going to start Paul's first missionary journey. And um, before I dive into this, before I, I do anything else, before I uh, um, start explaining the text or, or pointing in a direction, um, actually, I heard Keeley talking this morning about marathon running, uh, which I assume is because she's training for a marathon. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I, it's one of my favorite illustrations, this idea that um, when you go out and run a marathon, if you go out and prepare for a marathon, preparation is sort of the key to it. And I, I tried to find a quote. There was a boxer. Uh, I want to say it was Joe Lewis, but I'm not positive, who said that every fight is won six months before it actually happens. And it is won in the gym. It's won on the road. It's won in the training process. And um, as we dive into the text today, um, before we hit the primary text, we're going to look at the verses before it that we talked about last week or two weeks ago, um, and, and we're going to look at this idea of training, and we're going to look at this idea of training as it plays out in our daily lives, because I think, um, especially when it, becomes, when it comes to our walk with God, uh, it's easy to look away from training. It's easy to look at trying hard, or I heard it, and that's enough. Does that make sense? Like, it is easy to do those things or to rely on the past or these once-in-a-while moments or whatever and to get it into our head that this is um, how we grow spiritually. And it, it just isn't. Um, in the same way that I can't go out and run a marathon today because I have not been running regularly in a while, right? Like, I can't rely on my training from when I was in my 20s. Now that I'm in my 30s, it doesn't carry over. Um, Nothing? <laughs> um, I, I cannot ride that out forever. And so as we dive into the text, have a look here. We're going to be, our, our main point today, um, we're going to see a pretty significant victory, a pretty significant success for Paul in this opening section of Acts. Um, and as we look at that, understand uh, Understand that Paul's success and his victory and every good thing that happens along the way is a product of God acting on his behalf. We don't see Paul accomplish anything that God doesn't accomplish for him. And as I was looking at this, I always like talking about exercise as an illustration. And one of the things I was looking at over the week, the course of the week, that I thought about, oh, what if I use this? What if I use this? What if I use this? One of the illustrations that went on the cutting room floor that I sort of wish I had used now because there was no video associated with it um, is different athletes who, like, were prominent and then started taking steroids and got, like, huge. And it's like the, this is the difference, Right. And, of course, the problem with that is that steroids are not good. 
Um, Whereas in Paul's case, Paul is not a guy who is out there accomplishing great things on his own. Like, apart from God, he can't do anything. God is the, is the muscle in the entire organization. Paul is just his guy in the moment. Everybody with me? Uh, see why I didn't use the steroids thing? Also, I wanted to throw pictures of me up there and, you know, it's a joke. <laughs> Not a very good one. So Acts 13, we're going to do one through three. Now, in the church at Antioch, um, if you have a Bible, like follow along, it's good to look at it in your Bible and you can underline and write little notes in the side. Or if you have the handy dandy outline, you can take notes and take them home and reflect on them. Or you can ask questions and I'll answer them. Um, And actually, there are a few things I'm going to toss out today you might want to write down because they'll be kind of fun. Um, and I'll prompt you when I tell you them. Um, so Acts 13, 1 to 3. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, last time we looked at this text, a couple of the big ideas that we drew out that we put at the forefront, right? And I just little little reminder because it plays into what we're talking about today. A couple of the really big ideas. Sorry, guys. If I'm off camera, let me know and I'll stand up again, I guess, or get a taller stool. Um, the, uh, the big ideas. This is a church that had already been doing mission work, right? They had sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to, like, bring donations for a, for a famine that was coming. And um, beyond that, this is the first church, the one in Antioch is the first church where we see uh, Gentiles and Jewish people, like, in worship together without the Holy Spirit coming along and saying, guys, worship together. Like, they started their church. There were all these Jewish people. These were converts who fled Jerusalem after Stephen was martyred. And these guys, like, automatically turned around and began to minister to the people around them, right? Like, it was just what they did. And it was their habit to look at people and say, how can we help you? How do we advance the gospel? How do we save you? How do we help you know Jesus? All of these things were a part of what they were doing. And so that habit plays out. How does it play out? Well... It played out where it started small in their communities. It started small where they were at, and it got bigger, and it got bigger, and it got bigger. Um, There's this idea that small things in the church don't matter, right? I had a a good friend of mine who worked at a Christian radio station a million years ago, like in the 80s, way before I was born, Um, and... (laughs) And he uh, helped run a concert that Rich Mullins played. Like, I guess that would have been in the 70s, early 80s. And he was there with Rich Mullins, and he's signing autographs and talking to people and everything else. And this young woman came up to him and said, I want to do what you do. How do I become what you are? How do I do what you do? And he said, well, if you want to do what I do, and this is Rich Mullins. I don't know. Some of you all might know who he is. Some of you don't. But if I started playing his music, you would know exactly who he was. He was a guy who, like like was almost a prophetic voice like he sang and wrote music that was amazing and glorified god and is like like the kind of stuff that shakes you to the core of who you are um and he lived poor he intentionally took a vow of poverty he lived at summer camps 
And so, like, I knew another youth pastor who this guy was, like, his camp worship, her camp worship leader. Because he, like, lived at a summer camp. I mean, that was how he afforded to live. Uh, anyway, so Rich Mullins is there. He's signing autographs. He's talking to people. And this gal says, I want to do what you do. And he says, that's great. Take your guitar. Take your music. Go to the nursing home and play for the residents. And she said, no, you don't understand. I want to do what you're doing. And he's like, exactly. Go to the nursing home with your guitar and your music and perform for them and play for them and, and minister to them. And he said, but you don't understand. That's not what I want to do. I want to do what you're doing because we see big and that's what we want. But in reality, the greatest things in the kingdom of God always begin little. It begins where we are and what we're doing and everything else. Paul spent 10 years hanging out. What was he doing? He was probably praying. He was probably fasting. He was probably preaching to people around him. And then all of a sudden he's brought onto the world stage and he does huge things. But way before that, he did little things. And it is very often the case that ministers who do huge things, like Billy Graham, preached to more people than ever in history, anyone. And he started out like little, right? He started out with nothing, and he built. And is it he who built? No, God builds. God does great things. God makes amazing things happen. And Jesus says it, right? Like, whoever can be trusted with little will be trusted with much. Um, we're called to have the heart we have here and now, right? And sometimes our hearts look and say, I want something bigger. If that's not what God's calling us to, it's not what we're supposed to do. And so these guys start small, and then they send Paul out, and their mission effort grows and explodes and becomes something amazing. Now, Paul... Before they start this, they're praying and they're fasting. And in the previous section, um, when Peter is jailed, we see them praying and fasting. And before that, when Peter is ministering in Caesarea by the sea, everyone is praying. And that's how they came together and the Holy Spirit moved. This is the recurring theme, and I think I've hit this button, and I've hit this button, and I've hit this button. And part of what I'm going to do this morning is... Hit this button. Why? Because at the core of what we are, we are people of prayer. We are people who are an extension of Christ in the world around us. And so if you want to do things for the Lord, it begins by praying. It begins by fasting. It begins by, by reading the word and studying and meditating and everything else. Like all of these things that are a part of growing is where it begins. And that's why I'm starting in 1 through 3. Because prayer is the foundation of this ministry, and it's the foundation of Paul's ministry going forward. And it's going to turn up here even though it's easy to miss it, okay? Um, Prayer is spiritual training. You all with me? Talking to God is spiritual training. Submitting to God's will is a part of spiritual training. Because it makes us muscular? No, because it teaches us to get out of the way and allow God to act. Everybody with me? Okay. So we're in our text for today, four to five. The two of them were on their way by the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is an island. I don't have a map for you today, and I, I think I actually brought my laser pointer, but I have no map. 
Um, it's a little island just south of Greece, and like it was not a huge island, a little island. There's a bunch of cities there, and there's a Roman colony there that's relatively new. Um, and these islands were a big deal because people passed through them on their way from place to place. Ships were relatively small, and sailing was incredibly dangerous. And so, for the most part, you hung out near the shore, and you went from port to port and refilled and everything else, and you watched for storms. And if you were close to land and there was a storm, you could, like, park, right? Um, otherwise, drown, you know, that was always an option. Uh, and that'll come up later in Acts. Um, but... They're sailing to Cyprus, which is a, you know, happening place. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This is John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, who has come up several times in the book, but he's along with these two. Helper does not mean evangelist. He is like a gopher at this point or a secretary, right? Secretary might be a good way to call it because, like, we know that John Mark took notes. That's how where like the Gospel of Mark came from. It was John writing out Peter's Gospel, right? So when you read the book of Mark, that's Peter's account as recorded by Mark because Mark and Peter traveled together. Um, so John Mark is with them as a helper and they're there and they're preaching. So what do we pick out of this? And it was easy to miss. They went because the Spirit sent them. Everybody with me? It was not, hey, you know what we should do? We should go over there, right? Instead, when the Spirit said go, they went. And you're going to see this over and over again in Paul's work. As Paul travels to go evangelize, they'll be on their way somewhere, and the Spirit will be like, yeah, maybe don't go there. And they'll turn somewhere else, or the Spirit will say, all right, time to go, guys. And you know, like they get up and they leave because people are coming to kill them. Um, or whatever, like there is all of these examples of the Spirit moving, and it's easy to imagine that the Holy Spirit just sort of jumps up and does things for them, or that Paul is this sort of like super evangelist or whatever, but I'm going to guarantee you, because Paul says it in his own words, Paul spends a ton of time praying, and a ton of time like, like seeking out God's will, and a ton of time teaching and engaging with people, um, Paul's letters are brilliant, and they're not brilliant because Paul didn't spend any time studying. Paul probably studied all the time, and he was a guy who had studied to be a rabbi and could connect the, the dots between the Christian teachings and the Jewish faith and everything else. Like, Paul is a big deal because Paul had engaged in a number of disciplines and a number of efforts over the years that had turned him into something better. And so the Holy Spirit prompts him. And he hears the Holy Spirit. He knows the Spirit's voice. He knows all of this stuff because he listens, because he prays, because he's in the Word, because he is trained to become God's man. Um, and we move on from there. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, meaning son of Yeshua is probably it. And Yeshua, like her Joshua or Jesus is pronounced in the Latin would be like the most popular name in the Jewish world, okay? So like, oh my gosh, it says Jesus. Nope, it's just a really common name. Like everybody named their kid Joshua, like everybody names their kid uh, Joshua now. Um, I didn't name him, that was a joke. You awake? Uh, so son of Yeshua. 
who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. By the way, Paul, hey. Um, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. You hit pause here. A proconsul is roughly a governor. He represents a council, uh, which is, you know, he's, he's basically running the show on this island. It's a relatively new city. It's been established so that Rome can exert their power and authority over the island and over shipping and everything else. Um, Sergius Paulus, Paulus is his last name. Um, he is from a family that is incredibly influential. How do we know? Because the Paulus family, they were everywhere in the ancient world. These guys, like every one of his cousins, is a council or pro-council. Every one of his uncles works in government. They're all over the place, and Caesar knows them and everything else. This is a real guy who is prominent, um, and he has an advisor. Now, Sergius Paulus, as best we can tell, is probably a pagan. Um, but he does have a Jewish advisor. Now, what's up with that? Well... Sometimes you see Jewish folks associated with Romans because there were a lot of Romans who became what was called God-fearers. They were sort of believers in God, but they didn't want to do all the extra stuff like circumcision, to to name one that mostly nobody wanted to do, um, in order to become Jewish. But it took years to become Jewish. But he probably isn't one. He's probably a pagan. Now, the pagans looked at the Jewish folks, and they would say, those Jewish guys, their religion's old, Right? Deeply spiritual, they memorize a lot of books. Did you ever meet somebody who knew what they were talking about, like as they'd memorized a ton of books and just sort of assumed they knew it? Don't point at me. Uh, <laughs> you just sort of assume they knew what they were talking about. And actually, there are some prominent voices in scholarship who are well-read and intelligent and brilliant, far more brilliant than I am, that are just kind of wrong about some stuff, right? And this would be an instance of this, like where Sergius has this Bar-Jesus fella hanging out with him, and Bar-Jesus is he's a false prophet. Like, actually, um, I'm going to say it's Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, I'm trying not to give you too much history, explains and offers a number of examples throughout his books of people who were Jewish people who would go around and, like, interpret dreams. Because it was a great way to make a living, right? Everybody's, like, pagan. And so you can go to these pagan people and say, let me tell you, I'm from the history of Daniel. You all know who Nebuchadnezzar is, and they probably did. And my guy was able to interpret dreams, and now I'm going to do the same thing for you. And a lot of them were con men. We encountered some of them in the book of Acts. We encountered uh, Simon Magus, remember, like probably two years ago at this point. But so this guy is there. He is a false prophet. He's a guy who interprets dreams. And this guy, Sergius Paulus, is like, you know what? I hear about this guy, Saul, and he's all over the island, and he's creating a stir, and people are listening to him, and I want to know what's going on with this guy. Because at this point, Paul had traveled everywhere on the island. So he comes to the capital, and he goes to have an audience with the proconsul. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means. Now, pause here. We oftentimes encounter multiple names for people in the ancient world. Why is that? Well, for example, every Roman fella would also have, or every Jewish fellow who was Roman would have a Roman name, right? Like Saul, his Roman name is? 
Paul. And actually, in this little account is the first time we see the name Paul used in the, in the book of Acts, right? Like, it's the first time he's mentioned, but from this point forward, he's basically interacting with Romans and countrymen and friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was one person who caught my Mark Antony, Julius Caesar joke. I, or it was Julius Caesar, sorry. Uh, but Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, what's happening here? It's possible, I've read some commentaries that argue that he is like doing some sort of weird magic-y thing. I don't think the text supports that. I think he is sitting there arguing with Paul. Right? And you'll see this sometimes. Like, I've encountered folks who will tell me, I have read the Bible, which the moment somebody announces that, I know they probably haven't read the Bible. And they'll say, Jesus is not the Messiah because of the following reasons. They give you all these reasons, and they don't really understand what they're talking about. Or they're offering kind of ridiculous arguments or whatever. And like Paul was a student of a famous rabbi, he is just not the guy to argue with. But this guy sets up shop and argues to try and protect, well, honestly, to try and protect his sugar daddy, right? Because... The council, the proconsul, is paying this guy to work for him, to be his advisor. And the moment he steps away from this version of the faith, our guy Elimas, or Bar-Jesus, pretty much loses his job. And nobody wants that, right? And so he's arguing the other direction. He's pushing. He's offering debate and everything else. Um, then Saul, who is also called... Paul, and there it is, and from here on out, he'll be known as Paul. <laughs> Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord was against you. You are going to be blind for a time. And not able to see the light of the sun. So, just a little spoiler, he ends up blind. Um, Paul did that, right? No! <laughs> what did Paul do? Stood in the right place, opened his mouth, and the Holy Spirit spoke on his behalf. And we see Jesus predicting this. He's like, look, you're going to be taken before rulers and before before men and before, like, judges and everything else. And don't worry about what you're going to say when you get there because the words will be given to you. Because the Holy Spirit moves when the Holy Spirit moves and how he moves. Does that mean every time I look at a guy and say, you know what, that guy is evil, I should announce to him, you're a son of the devil? No. And you know why? Because 99% of the time it's me saying it. Right? Because I have encountered, I've seen people do this. I've seen people do this in different settings. And almost every time it is their, like, desire to say this thing because they're angry or frustrated or whatever. And not the Holy Spirit moving. Is it the Holy Spirit sometimes? Absolutely. Sure. I completely believe that. At least in this instance it was. But, like, for the most part, you know, we, we don't end up in that spot very often. Are the people that the Spirit fills and they speak? Yes. And I'll tell you, there's a really good measure for that, and that is when the Holy Spirit moves, when the Holy Spirit speaks, God pretty much wins. Everybody with me? 
Like, it is really hard to fight God, right? There's just hard. Like, Titus, if Titus decides to fight me, I'm not God, but, like, I'm dad, right? If Titus decides we're going to throw up fists, who's going to win? <laughs> it depends if there's a trumpet nearby. You can't defeat God. And when the Spirit moves, the Spirit moves. Are there people who are hard-hearted? Yes. Are there people who don't listen? Yes. Are there people who are, you know, pig-headed? Are there times God allows things to not go our way? Absolutely, those are all true. Does that mean I didn't have enough faith? No. It means that's what God decided was going to happen. Um, But in this instance, like, the opposition to the gospel in this instance is straight up. It's overcome by God interceding. It is not Paul. Is it because Paul is, you know, this awesome guy or super good or anything else? Well, if you read the rest of Paul's writings, he says over and over again, I am not good, right? The evil I hate to do is what I end up doing, and the good I want to do is what I end up doing. Like, Paul is constantly, like, owning the fact that his best works are are rubbish. Every good thing he's done up until Christ is garbage. And it is only the gospel. It is only Christ in him that does great things. Um, and this is an instance of that. Um, I would argue, and this is one of the things I'm going to present as an argument, um, what, or as the major point here is, um, as believers, it is easy to get sidetracked into things. And our whole culture gets us sidetracked. But at the end of the day, only through God's movement do we accomplish. Only through God's like hand do we do things that are worth doing. Only through his intercession do we like make impact on people's lives or touch the hearts of the lost. I can tell you there are times when I sit down and I write a sermon and I think it's going to be amazing and I get up and I preach my heart out and I think everybody here is going to be like brokenhearted and weeping and not a thing, right? And there are times I do messages and I feel awful and I get done and I think I'm pretty sure they're going to fire me today. And I had people like tears in their eyes come up to me afterwards and say, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And you know why? Because it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the Spirit's movement. It has nothing to do with how clever or how funny. And I know, you know, but like those things are not it. It's God's strength. That was a joke. I'm not, you know, I'm really just trying to make Carly laugh at this point because she's interacting with me. Um, It is the Holy Spirit moving that makes preaching work that makes books convicting, that makes our heart change, that makes us into new people, and that is it. Um, All right, finishing up the text. Immediately mist and darkness came over him. By the way, this is what happened to Paul. Anybody notice the parallel? Kind of a funny little thing here. Uh, Immediately darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed and was amazed at the teaching of the, about the Lord. And so this proconsul hears the gospel. He's preached to. He sees this miracle. And, like, presumably he's converted. And then we never hear about him again. That's it. So Paul has done his – this is our text, right? So we're going to jump into what are the big concepts? What's sitting behind this text? First off, God's power is the most important component of our salvation ministry, evangelism, growing spiritually, everything else. It is God's spirit that changes us. Um, when I was young, I used to watch uh, friends of mine who would have a, a swear jar. Anybody ever do this? 
Like, I need to stop swearing because my bad language is a bad representation of the gospel. And so every time I say a word I'm not supposed to, I'm going to throw a couple bucks in the bin. And you know what? That doesn't work. You know why? Because that's law. You know what changes us? Gospel. Do this or else will never make you better. Do this or you will be alone. Do this or God will not bless your stuff. Plant a seed offering by giving this money. Nothing. Right? Share this if you love Jesus. Anybody feel guilty when you scroll by those? I just get mad. I'm like, that is not how the gospel works. Um, and that's Obi-Wan Kenobi, not Jesus. Um, <laughs> it's God's power that makes it work. It's Christ in us that makes us Christ-like. It is us turning ourselves over and breaking ourselves down and crucifying our old selves that brings the spirit into movement. It is not what I want. It is what God desires of me. Um, I'm going to do some Ephesians. And this is one of those texts that I think is amazing because it is so often misquoted and abused, and we look at it funny. Finally, this is Paul writing to Ephesus, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. So that's be strong in what? In God, in the Lord's power, in Christ. Be strong in Christ. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. And we hear armor and we in modern Western society think Kevlar, AR whatever, right? AK-57. That's a thing, right? I just make that up. We think Arnold Schwarzenegger and the muscles and we think like Chuck Norris and everything else like that is it. But that's not it. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Can you fight the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm with your 12-gauge? No. No matter what Arnold Schwarzenegger did in that one movie, it doesn't work. And it wasn't a very good movie. Um, we don't fight evil. We don't fight sin. We don't fight false gospel with our muscles, with our wealth, with our anything. We fight these things with the Spirit. And actually, as Paul goes on, the full armor of God, right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. Is the truth something I get or something I bring to the table? No. The truth is something the scriptures give me. And it holds everything together, buckled around my waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. My righteousness? No, because my righteousness is awful. What righteousness do I have? I have Christ's righteousness. Because when Christ is crucified and nailed to the cross and God pours his wrath out on him, this is almost a pre-recording for me because I say it every week. But I cannot say it enough times because this is what we are about, guys. He looked at Jesus and he saw my sin. He saw my false righteousness, my brokenness. And he looked at me and he saw Christ's righteousness because I'm forgiven because he was punished in my place. And so when I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I'm putting Christ around my chest. I'm wrapping myself up in Jesus. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Again, not me the gospel. 
In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. By the way, faith is a gift of the Spirit. It's something I get because the Holy Spirit gives it to me. On my own, I will always stumble. I will always fall. I will always falter. But with the Spirit in me, I'm capable of having a spirit of faith to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Again, not me. And the sword of the Spirit. Again, not me. Which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. It's funny because nobody ever reads the next verse. Isn't that weird? How many of y'all have heard that like armor of God thing more than once? How many of y'all have heard pray all the time (laughs) right afterwards? Because it, man, it's manly to pick up armor. Praying don't feel all that manly. But Praying is training. Praying is preparation. Picking up faith is something that we, comes out of like hearing the word of God, out of like meditating on the scriptures, out of leaning on God over and over again, on filling ourselves with Christ. Like these are things that come out of that. The Holy Spirit, I don't wield the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wields me on a good day. But like it's him doing the work at that point. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whatever I speak, words may be given to me. By the way, I think I mentioned this one already. Whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Um, Paul is capable of winning his fight because God is with him. Like, I I realized this as I was looking at what pastors, I've been spending the last few weeks looking at what pastors are supposed to do, right? And what are practices and habits and skills and everything else. And I came to this weird realization um, because I read and I, I read a lot of books by Navy SEALs. I find the whole concept of like special forces, like guys who don't feel pain. And guys who, you know, like are crazy athletic and fit and tough and fearless and everything else. I find that amazing. And those are guys who, like one guy I follow on Twitter and on a couple other things, and I've read a couple of his books. um, His whole deal is no matter what happens, every morning at 4 o'clock, get up and exercise. Every morning. And every morning he posts a photo of his watch at 4.30 as he goes into the gym to exercise. And then he posts photos of sweat all over the equipment which I assume is just him pouring out his water bottle. Um, And you know why? Because if you're going to be a soldier, you have to exercise. I would be a terrible soldier because I'm overweight and I'm slow and I have arthritis and I'm not, like i got a bunch of stuff going against me at this point. I'd be a terrible soldier. My video clip was actually the John Belushi. Anybody remember that? Chocolate frosted donuts and he's like an Olympian eating chocolate frosted donuts to train. And it's ridiculous because he's John Belushi, so he's like, you know, fat and smoking a cigarette and a bunch of other stuff. Like, he's not in shape. He's not prepared. He cannot do these things, and it's absurd. And, like, the reality is that for us, if we are going to be God's people, soldiers in God's army, if we're going to be people who stand in God's place and speak on his behalf and show Jesus to our kids and show Jesus to our neighbors and, like, show up in heaven and get a... Well done, my good and faithful servant. If we're going to be that guy, we have to train. That's what I, I realize. Like soldiers, Navy SEALs, they get up and they train for several hours every morning. Pastors should get up 
and train for several hours every morning. We should get up. We should pray. We should read the scriptures. We should meditate. We should do all of these things. Um, in the same way, everybody who's a believer should be getting up every morning or before they go to bed at night or whatever time and taking time to train, taking time to read the word, taking time to lean on Christ, taking time to fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, like, like pursuing him constantly um, because that's our training. Actually, in 1 Corinthians, this is my last scripture verse, and we're going to go through the rest of the concepts here. Uh, do you not know that in a race, thank you, Keely, all runners run, but only one gets a prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What's Paul talking about? Paul's saying, listen, I'm in this race. I'm competing, and I have to train. i got to prepare. i got to be in the strict regimen. What's that regimen look like? It looks like prayer. It looks like soaking in the disciplines. It looks like, like pursuing the things that make me strong spiritually. Um, what are our concepts here? So taking up the sources of our spiritual strength daily are an important component of training and for spiritual work. What does that mean? That means we should spend time worshiping. I am bad at worshiping. It is hard for me to sit still on Sunday mornings because i got so many things i got to worry about. Right? And then when I put on music, I almost always say, I do not want to listen to music. I would rather listen to a book or a podcast or nothing. But worship's important, right? Stopping and spending time in silence with God is important. Taking time to be in fellowship with other believers is important. Mondays are hard for me because I don't like getting up early. I like getting up early. I like getting up early and doing my thing. I don't like getting up early and being around everyone else. But coming in and doing Bible study with the guys is a big deal because it grows me spiritually. It feeds me spiritually. And taking that up daily is training. It is funny, I, I have this new house and a garage, and, and we have this space where one garage stall is a weight room, and it's awesome. And I've used it about five times since we got it. And it's amazing how poorly it's working with me not using it. Right? I probably should own a Bowflex. I think I could not use that thing and get fit. Why? Because training requires every day. It requires all the time. Another comparison for this, and this is kind of the other end of this, right? Like, I cannot expect to be close with my wife if I don't talk to her. I cannot expect to be close with my wife if I don't know what matters to her and I'm not putting effort towards those things. I have to go on dates with my wife sometimes. It's been a while, too. And if I'm closer with my wife and more cognizant of it and my mind is on it, I remember not to say things like I have to. Just being close with her changes how I talk in the same way that just being close to Christ changes how I talk. Want to learn how not to lose your temper all the time? Pray for people that make you mad. I don't want to do that. Finally, spiritual exercise is a daily effort. It's not once a week. It's not I go to church. It's not I listen to the sermon sometimes in, you know, David Jeremiah first thing in the morning before I get moving. 
It's not a like, oh, I did this, I'm done. It is a lifestyle. And that's a thing. Like, I'm great at exercising once I get going. I hate eating right. But you know what I have to do if I want to be fit? I actually got to eat right. And I got to not smoke, which is also terrible. And I got to not kick things in the house and break bones. I got to do a bunch of stuff that I don't want to do. I got to watch, you know, can't watch the movies that are fun and exciting and sinful. Because it feeds a part of me that is in contrary to that. And it's a whole life training process. I read an article about uh, Michael Phelps and his habits. And the guy developed a routine that started when he got out of bed this, like every morning. He would say things to himself. He would do things all the way through the course of his day. He did the exact same thing. You see him sitting on the sideline with his headphones on. He's listening to the exact same song he's been listening to before swimming since he was 12. He gets up to swim. One, two, three times he stretches his arms every time since he was 12. Because training is consistency. This is what our eternity will be. We train for it. So there are, how do we train? What does this look like? Read your Bible and pray. That isn't all of it. Uh, The church is universally bad at this. There are, according to Dallas Willard, and I really like Dallas, there are two versions of spiritual discipline, of training, right? There's abstinence and engagement. And abstinence includes things like spending time in silence. When was the last time you guys just sat in a quiet place and, like, soaked up the stillness around you? Or talked to God for a little while and just sort of enjoyed the quiet afterward? No one? Um, Being alone. Like, alone with God. Spending time fasting, which is really hard for me, even though, like, it's the best spiritual discipline in my world. Um, You know, choosing to, to be secretive about the things that you are doing which is hard because, like, when I do something good, I want the whole world to know it. But keeping secrets about how you're serving Christ or how you're being righteousness, um, it means you can't post, like, pictures of your devotions on Instagram every time. Uh, Like, like it's the opposite of that. Um, Sacrifice, meaning giving things up or giving things away or giving things to the Lord. Like, these are abstinence, stepping away from stuff and saying, this isn't what I'm going to do right now. Engagement, we're better at. We're good at study, right? Read your Bible and pray, right? We're good at worshiping, or we're supposed to be. We're good at celebrating things God has done. We're good at serving other people, or we should be. And I would argue that if you want to add a little bit of spice to how you're growing spiritually, find people who can do absolutely nothing for you and come up with little excuses to serve them secretly. That was a thing I did, and now I'm going to do the opposite of what I'm talking about. When I worked at the home, I would sometimes go around to the cottages and I would scrub toilets and clean bathrooms because I knew I would do it better than the students who or than the clients who were supposed to be doing it. You know and, and I thought, you know what, if I clean their toilets, their life is a little better. Well, I got a master's degree. You know and no nope. service. Prayer. Fellowship, meaning spending time with other believers. Confessing to other believers is impossible and difficult and painful and everything else, but it changes us. And submitting to people when we don't want to. You know how fun that is? 
Um, these things are the exercises. These things are what spiritual workouts are. These things are hard to do, especially now. Um, but I'm willing to bet that most of us in the room eat oatmeal, except for Callan, who never eats oatmeal. Eat oatmeal to get our cholesterol down. Anybody done that? No? Really? <laughs> Some of us have had to learn to walk places because we need to get a little more active to lose weight. And we have a little watch that tells us you've taken your 10,000 steps. You can choose to not walk now. Anyone? Some of us have exercise routines and gym memberships, and we make sure to get there and do our things so that we can, like we have things we do to keep ourselves alive that are wonderful. We take vitamins and pills and, you know, you name it, we do it. But if asked about our spiritual disciplines, what are our habits that are helping you grow regularly? How are you picking up the sword of the Spirit? How are you growing in faith? How are you serving people? How are you surrounding yourself with the righteousness of Christ? And then it becomes a really slow, like, I don't know. I'm doing this. That's it. We have financial disciplines to protect ourselves. I got this savings account, and I got these insurances, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and but eternity will last longer than retirement. We don't invest in that. So these disciplines are our training. The other part of that that matters is accountability. If we lack accountability, we will just plain not do it. Right? If nobody's checking, if I don't have to answer to anyone, won't do it. For me, I had more success going to the gym when I would go with Michael every morning because Michael didn't have a key. And so I had to get there, and I had to get there before him, or he'd be standing in the snow in the parking lot waiting for me. And so I always got up, and I went. You know why? Because I don't want to be that jerk. Is it because I love exercising? No, it's not because I like standing out in the snow either. It's because I never wanted to let Michael down. Accountability. There's a reason when you see Paul, he's always next to Barnabas or Apollos or someone else. It's because Paul is a training partner. How many of y'all have folks that you talk to about your prayer life? I know a couple of people do, but it's not a common practice. How many of you have people that you pray with or for? Finally, and lastly, spiritual growth is, an, is both an individual and a community effort. We're called to pray as the church, but we're also called to be a part of the church. We're called to be accountable to the church and in submission to the church, and that keeps us honest. Why? Because it is really easy to figure out nonsense things while you're sitting by yourself. Right? When I was dating Jessica, this is a confession, she's already heard this story though, so there was a time when there was this girl I was friends with, and I kissed her. And it was awful. I'm a terrible person. And I remember talking to her about it years later, and she's like, oh, really? I don't care that much. This is like 20 years later I told her that. Or, anyway. I remember my roommate in college, I said, well, I'm dating Jessica, but I did kiss this other girl, but it's okay because, and I listed out all my reasons it was okay, and you know what he said? He said, yeah, right. <laughs> if you have a girlfriend, you don't kiss other girls, you are full of it, you are lying to yourself, you need to knock it off. And it was a lot harder hearing it from another guy, oh yeah, I guess I'm wrong. And then I kept it a secret for a couple decades. Anyway. I was a kid and a lot dumber. I mean, I, it's hard to believe, but as a community, we can hold each other accountable. 
as a church body, we can hold each other accountable. I stand in a community accountable. If I got up today and I started telling you that giving Eric money for a hot tub is the key to heaven, I would get fired, and I should be fired. But if I told people that where nobody can keep me accountable, if I preached a gospel that was fake or nonsense, I could get away with it. If I could say, this is what I want, this is what I think God like, like, wants you people to do, like, if I could do that kind of thing, I'd be in trouble. Accountability, operating in community. My challenge for you today, and I have a challenge, my challenge for you today is to decide I'm going to train. I am going to train for my spiritual life harder than I do for my physical life. I'm going to find somebody who I can't manipulate who will tell me the truth. I will find a trainer. Somebody who can say, you know what, maybe you should read this. Hey, maybe you should take this a little more seriously. Hey, maybe you're wasting money in this area and you shouldn't. Hey, maybe nine hours on Twitter every day isn't a good idea, which my wife has pointed out to me, and I'm working on it. I'm down to eight. Um, My challenge for you is to commit to training Commit to growing spiritually. Commit to digging in and doing some spiritual Navy SEAL stuff, right? Do your running. Prepare for your marathon. Eat the right foods. Fill yourself with Christ-like stuff. Wrap Jesus around your chest so you become more like him. And I'm going to close in prayer. Um, As we walk out the door, just want to really encourage you, really challenge you. Play the spiritual Rocky montage as you walk out the door and, like, train. Because the day you fight for your faith, you don't want to step in the ring and say, I'm 80 pounds overweight and I can barely breathe getting up these steps, right? Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us. Uh, I pray that um, I'm long-winded and I'm sometimes muddled and I'm all over the place some days, I pray that you would give, give these folks grace despite me. pray that folks would have heard the gospel and been challenged, that their conscience would have been pricked. I pray, Lord God, that we would be people of prayer, just constantly people of prayer, people who, who train to be deeper and stronger and mightier in your name. Help us to grow to be Christ-like constantly. Um, help us to pursue things that make us more like you. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday. And thank you. We feel very appreciated.